Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Switch Statement Podcast. It's a podcast for investigations into miscellaneous tech topics. This is episode eight in our series on the design of everyday things by Don Norman. Hey, John, how are you doing? Hey, Matt, I'm doing really well. How are you doing? I'm not doing great. So this morning... I got an alert on my phone at 7.15 that we had this recording session and (laughs) I was at my girlfriend's place, which is about a 30 minute drive away. Oh, dude. And you Uh, were, you're clearly at your place right now. So you, I am at my place, uh, now. So I, I ran no, uh, but, um, it was, it was a major error. I I might say. (laughs) You did it on purpose to provide material for this session. I wish that were the case. I wish that were true. And now this raises a whole other philosophical question. Is it possible to make a mistake on purpose? That's what I was just about to say, because it seems like the author would argue that mistakes are impossible. It's design problems. There's so only I, design problems. He does. <laughs> yes. He does touch on on this, where like people are truly at fault. Oh yeah, um, yeah. But uh, but but I was going to ask you: Was there a design problem that contributed to your mistake? Like maybe calendar could have told you last night, like, "Hey, I think you're about to forget." Yeah, my uh, mental framework does not allow me to assign blame to anyone but myself. <laughs> for anything you must be from so, michigan i i think i secretly am from michigan i have never been well i've been to michigan once yeah. but there's some michigan in my blood just to take a step back as you may have uh gathered this whole chapter is all about errors and why they happen as a result of a design and how to how to minimize them so uh, yeah the title is this the title of the chapter human error question mark no bad design is that the yes, title of the that chapter? is the that is the title of the chapter <laughs> okay because um, i wrote that in my notes i didn't know if that was yes. just me editorializing the first thing that struck me in this chapter and i know i'm an engineer i am biased but the author is is very biased in the direction of user error being less common than we think it is, which which I think is a fair stance to take. But I would also push back, argue the contrarian side, which is if you are designing something that is even remotely non-trivial, you're always going to reach a point where you have to make compromises, design compromises. And a lot of those compromises will affect the user experience. Yeah, uh, and it's it's usually you know because of the common trade offs that we're all used to cost. You know, you only have four engineers to work on this, so they can only produce so much. So you just need to decide like, oh, we're going to cut that really amazing signifier that might you know prevent some mistake. Um, so anyway, I know like I don't want to beat a dead horse. We've like discussed this exact thing before, but I just wanted to preface this entire chapter <laughs> with my engineering opinion. Well, just to put numbers to his opinion he says he thinks roughly one to five percent of errors are actually human errors yeah that just strikes me as low 
Agreed. They, you know, he has this other uh, this other quote, which is that the estimates range between seventy five and ninety five percent, and that sounds way too high to me. But uh, anything less than twenty percent, I think, uh, sounds sounds a little low uh, for human error. We're just not going to be able to design like completely perfect objects and software. Like it's just we, that can't be reality so there, it, it's always about it's all about trade-offs and it's like yeah, you're right if you're like for one example if you're putting guardrails so that people don't don't do something dumb maybe that's dismissive but if you're putting in guardrails so people don't delete system 32 on their machine that might be annoying to a super user who's like i need to delete yeah. system 32 right now i don't know for what reason but if they understand, and this is something Mac OS does a ton, is they have all of these guardrails in place. Mm-hmm. And I think that Don Norman would approve of these things. It's like, yeah, for for non-super tech-savvy users, they reduce the likelihood of making a mistake. But then for people who want to do something very specific or precise with the machine it actually like makes the user experience worse i think yeah so. yeah actually and i feel like this is something that don norman doesn't talk about you know like o- operator expertise reaching the point where all of this cushioning is just annoying and right. and this is something i discuss with my peers all the time at my job because a lot of what i do is is talk about like you know new processes that could potentially be added to like our entire team, which is like 150 people or so. And we are very hesitant to add any new process. Even if we think there could be some benefit to the process, we are super hesitant to introduce it because it's just this additional hurdle that like every single person is going to have to jump over. Oh, yes. So it's it's, it's trade-offs, like you say, like every single decision you make has trade-offs. One of the things that I like that he does is he keeps on coming back to this action framework where there's the layers of processing. And we've talked about this in a previous chapter where there's kind of this, this planning layer. I I should, uh, should uh, make sure I'm making, using the right terms here. This is the Uh, diagram where it's like a planning layer. And then there's like three boxes, which was basically like formulate a plan. I can't remember what the exact words are. And then there's like an execution phase. And then there's sort of the three boxes going up where you like perceive what you just did and sort of yeah, so the right thing. So the, the layers are kind of like you've got the plan layer, the specify layer, and the perform layer when you're kind of performing an action. Um, and he broadly breaks errors down into two subcategories. There are mistakes and there are slips. So a slip would be that you made the right plan, but you did the wrong thing. Like you said, I'm going to make a coffee this morning, but you accidentally put your coffee cup back in the fridge instead of putting the milk back in the fridge. Like that's a slip. Whereas a a mistake, on the other hand, is you make the wrong plan. You might perform the actions correctly, but your plan was wrong to begin with. So you wind up doing the wrong, you know, ultimately achieving the wrong thing. Which, this one feels a lot fuzzier to me because 
Let's say you have a misunderstanding of the state that the system is in. If you make a plan that's based off of incorrect information, is that the plan being wrong? Yeah, I guess it would be. Yeah, so that that would be a mistake. Right. And so so basically having an incorrect kind of world model that you use to construct a plan yeah. is kind of in, like cuz I guess my point is like let's assume that world model is true like maybe the plan is great you know what i mean but like um you know the 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 information on which the plan is based is is incorrect so that's maybe i'm splitting hairs here but no no it's um, an interesting distinction i don't think he talks about it because i feel like in the book it's suggested that you know, you you made the wrong plan and they don't really give the reasoning for why you made the wrong plan. Like, right. and, and if you misunderstand the state of the world and make the wrong plan versus the state of the world that's perceivable to you leads you to making the wrong plan, those would both be mistakes. They're subtly different, but both mistakes. Yeah. I feel like in, in the postmortem, the latter looks better for you. <laughs> Where if you say, oh, this tooling showed this value therefore the tooling was providing me the incorrect result which caused me to create the wrong plan you know that's just uh slightly i don't think we i almost don't think people would ever talk about uh that first kind where where basically it's like well everything joe saw was correct yeah he just he just decided to do something absolutely bonkers <laughs> like <laughs> right. there, you're never gonna like see that in a in a postmortem or it's gonna be like joe did x y and z and like that caused this other thing we're not gonna be like it was insane that joe decided yeah. to do x y and z um <laughs> which is important like we've talked about this before but bl- blameless culture is really, really significant in our industry. And it's also really important to this whole exercise because Joe did do something insane, but there might be problems you can fix. And this almost goes back to the whole guardrail thing where maybe there's a guardrail you can add. Maybe there's like a modal that you should pop up that says you're about to delete production. Do you want to continue? And you have to click yes, no. Um, And yeah, that might annoy a power user, but it might prevent another (laughs) postmortem. So, uh, yeah, it's an interesting, it's all trade-offs. It's funny because I do have this cognitive dissonance where I do believe in those, those checks, but I think they can be at different levels. Like, yeah. I think a good example of this is the rename a file extension warning in macOS. I just don't believe that I would ever, like, accidentally touch the file extension unless i you know i really wanted to um also like it's the kind of thing where it's like i also feel like the worst case scenario there for me is like not that bad so it's like even if i do do that wrong it's like i have faith in myself that i can like get myself out of that that kind of thing so that's a that's a kind of like warning that is an irritant to me yeah but like i do i do believe in kind of things like checklist manifesto where uh, i love checklists it's so funny because there's there's this tiny little bit of structure in uh you know at, at our company which is there's a default uh pull request if you're not familiar if you use github for your code 
um, when you know you, whenever you're making a change, you create a pull request, and and there's this default description that gets put in there, and in that default description, there's a section that says tests, and there's like one default bullet point that gets put in there to oh did you check this thing and it's like first off just the fact that there's a section that says tests has has saved me so many times it's like even when you have a very short checklist like i feel like it can it, it can be very useful very useful very powerful yeah even for processes where you know what you're doing yeah because if there's a process that's more than three steps i will forget a step like it just there's just no doubt in my mind that I'll just miss a step. And that's why I use checklists all the time. I love them. Um, like we, we do these things called production reviews. Mm-hmm. And I literally, like we wrote up this whole document on like kind of how to do a production review. There's all these things you need to look at, like monitoring and alerting and all those things. And I literally created this, this checklist that people can just copy into like, you know, whatever, a doc or something and just go through it. And I think it's, just makes the whole process way easier. I wanted to mention something that you you brought up earlier, which is it's all these cushions that we add to software, you know, guardrails to prevent people from accidentally doing the wrong thing. And he mentions this thing in the book called deliberate violations, mm. which I just wanted to talk about because I wanted to get your take on this. Like, I feel like I see this all the time where you know, engineers design some amazing, like, let's say permission system or like user and group system. Like I would, I would say Linux and Unix is an example of this, where it's an extremely powerful system and you can set these fine grain permissions on all these facets of your software. And if you understand it, it's very powerful. But what I see a lot of engineers do is just running pseudo all over the place not like setting proper groups on things and running commands as like a group that should be doing that. Just running sudo all over the place, which, you know, there's, there are times where you do need to run sudo, but I think it's a case where, you know, a, a, a guardrail was designed in such a way that it's hard to understand. So people are just constantly doing deliberate violations. Man, uh, you've just awoken this dormant memory of mine from my first internship at Google. I have no idea what I was trying to do. I was being restricted from doing it. And then I think I did something like pseudo sue, which is even like this (laughs) next level of like, okay, just give me everything. I want, I want it all because pseudo sue gives you a root shell. Uh, So you can just, you can just get yourself into all sorts of hilarious, uh, just shenanigans. So Um, but I, I told my nearby, like wise elder, like, oh yeah, yeah. I solved this problem. I just did like pseudo sue and like whatever. And then he's like, are you kidding? Like you just, you just like walked up and just like, all right, boom. But all of my experience was on my own machine up until that point. And I think this exactly gets back to your point where you're saying like, you haven't even internalized it as something you're not supposed to do because everyone was doing it all of the time. Exactly. Like yeah. in university, you're just constantly being like pseudo blah, pseudo blah, pseudo blah. And I think that is a failure of design in the system because it's like if you Agreed. constantly have to do pseudo to do things like something is weird. Like oh, that yeah. should be a very rare thing that you're doing. And I think I mean, I'm not using Linux much these days, but if uh, 
I don't feel like I have to run that as much. But maybe that's just because I'm I'm trying to you know we're trying to learn how to set it up so that you just have the permissions to do what you're supposed to be able to do. Yeah. I've seen this be true for other things too. This goes back to the whole trade-offs discussion. Like if you're designing a guardrail, you need to realize that if you design it poorly, people are going to start skipping that guardrail and they'll reach a point where it's kind of like boy who cried wolf. They'll just completely ignore the guardrail. And in cases where that guardrail is, you know, is there for a good reason, like someone's about to delete production, they'll just ignore it and they will delete production. So yeah, it, it's it's funny because you might think the right idea is to just put all these guardrails in place, but that can backfire in pretty sinister ways. Well, right, and it's funny that you used sinister because I was going to say there's actually even a more sinister implementation of that, which is it's almost like deliberate, deliberate violations, I guess. <laughs> Meta-deliberate <laughs> violations where management is like, no one should be doing that. Like people should not be doing that, but like we kind of need them to do that. So what we're going to do is we're going to put a policy in place that you're not allowed to do that and then put this like weakest guardrail up in front of it that is just so easy to bypass. Yeah. So that there's this kind of facade of legal protection. Something bad goes wrong and then they can be like, all right, Jim Stevens bypassed the guardrail and uh, we're going to fire him, you know? And he gets into this where it's like when you do these root cause investigations, they're intentionally looking for someone to blame. Yeah. No, that's the thing. Yeah, like management puts these things in place, which is basically a CYA for them. uh, Yes, yes. They can just blame the employee, which is sad. Um, Well, what do you say we stop there? There's still a lot to talk about for this chapter. There's like the classification of slips and mistakes. But maybe we can cover that. Yeah, to be continued. Yeah, tune in next fortnight for uh, the exciting conclusion. Yeah, for the types of slips and types of mistakes. All right. Well, I'll see you there, John. See you there.